Well, welcome to the Alpha Course. Uh, my name is Keith Collins. Uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Lakeview Christian Center. And uh, how was the food tonight? All right. Good. Listen, if, if, if we can at least do that right, we feel like we've succeeded. So good food is awaiting you here on Tuesday nights, uh, at least for the next 10 weeks. Uh, well, tonight what we want to do is just introduce you to whatever this thing is that you've been invited to called the Alpha Course. And, you know, folks come in a, in a variety of invitations. Maybe you were invited by a family member or a friend um, Sometimes folks have just gotten an announcement or an invitation or a door hanger on their door just letting you know that this was happening in the neighborhood and folks have come from that. So you may not know anybody here at all or you know the person, just one person that you've been invited by and so certainly you're a little bit curious as to what exactly is this thing called the Alpha Course and... Well, we want to answer that for you tonight, but we, we thought it'd be interesting just to let you see it first. You know, people are asked, hey, this thing runs 10 weeks, it, it's, it's trying to be explained to you as to what it is, and would you like to come? And, you know, it's a little, sometimes fears or concerns people have for signing up for something that they're not real familiar with. So, you know, through the years we've accumulated some background on just, you know, the top concerns for... Here we go. Top 10 questions or concerns about signing up for the Alpha Course. And, you know, maybe that's you tonight if you think this through. Well, let's see. Number 10. 10 weeks? Really? Number 9. 10 weeks? Really is that many weeks? Number 8. Uh, afraid of being asked to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's a church. It's religious. This whole thing. Who knows? Number 7. Afraid of being asked to hold hands and spell Kumbaya. Which I'm always excited that you learned how to spell that tonight when you came here. If nothing else, number six, afraid you might miss a rare story about Donald Trump. You know, you don't get a news feed, you're not at home. Who knows what he might do that you want to keep up with. Number five, ten weeks, really. Number four, concerned Kool-Aid may be a beverage choice at some point. All right, you just, you just dated yourself if you laughed at that one. Because there's a lot of young people in the room are going, what's wrong with Kool-Aid? They've never heard of Guyana. You know what I'm talking about? All right, number three, fear of handling snakes. You know, who knows what could go on here. Number two, concern that Alpha is the sister company of Amway. And you're going to be asked to join. Number one concern, 10 weeks, really? Well... Well, what exactly is the Alpha Course? Well, we've been doing this for for quite a while. I think we started in about 2001 or so, doing 2001, 2002. Which one is it? 2001, doing the Alpha Course here. So we've just had a lot of folks uh, participate in it through the years. And uh, through that time, we just put together a little Alpha video that that tells the story of some of the folks who have been through our Alpha Course with us here uh, and can give you an idea of answering questions about what the course is about. So let me just watch this video with you, and we'll come back and introduce the evening to you after that. Hi, I'm Keith Collins. I'm the senior pastor of Lakeview Christian Center. And I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the Alpha Course. It's really a unique course. It's been held in churches, universities, prisons, coffee shops. Over 27 million people have done Alpha in 169 countries and 112 languages. Here at Lakeview, we've been doing the Alpha Course since 2001. 
and we've seen thousands of people attend our course over those years. You know, one of the things that we've discovered is that the Bible actually provides real answers to some of the most difficult questions that we as people are facing. The question that I needed answered most that had been with me for decades was why am I here? You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, but who determines who's right or wrong? And I just knew that somebody was wrong. <laughs> they all couldn't be right. Somebody had to be wrong, so I just assumed they were all wrong. <laughs> I was just looking for something, you know? I tried what the world offered me. I went through the program. I tried to be sober there. I tried to find my own sense of spirituality, um, and it, it wasn't working for me. Was there a God? Is the Bible real? Who is Jesus? Um, why should I read the Bible? Why should I go to church? I had many questions. You know, in our 90 mile an hour pace life, sometimes one of the most valuable things we can do is just pause and stop and ask good questions. Like, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And what really is the meaning of life? The Alpha Course is a place where you can ask those kind of questions in a non-threatening environment and listen to other people think through those things as well. But it's not just about asking questions. It's also about relationships and friendships that get formed. People who come together and share life and have a time to share about their own experiences together in a non-threatening, non-pressured environment. I decided to come to the Alpha course mainly out of curiosity. I said, let me go see what this is about. If I don't like it, I'm out of there. I'm sitting close to the door. One thing that I experienced when I first walked through the doors was the friendliness and the acceptance of those around me, um, like they had known me my whole life. The world is pretty rude, so you know you, you you show up at Alpha expecting maybe people to be that way, but it's just they, they're not. It was it was friendly. It was fun. You know, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just dinner at a church environment. It wasn't somber or sober or uh, or stiff. There's a lot of people there too, you know, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't think, I didn't feel so centered on, I didn't feel, uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel alone. When I first came to Alpha, I was really afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen. Everyone there was very, very, very nice. And they welcomed us. We felt very welcomed immediately. So the fear vanished, although I was wondering what we're going to do for those 10 weeks. On a typical evening in Alpha, we'll come together, we'll have a great meal, then we'll have a brief teaching, and then afterwards there'll be a time of discussion where people can just share their own thoughts about the topic that was presented that night, and you can listen and interact with others as they think through some of the questions of life that are being discussed. Alpha is uh, it, it's a place where you can think. It's a place where you can challenge your thoughts. You can challenge other people's thoughts. And it was accepted and, and encouraged. It really got your thought process going, got you thinking about why you do the things that you do in your life. And what are you basing that information on? And why do you believe what you believe? You know, we were learning, but at the same time, it was fun, you know? Mm -hmm. It was, we laughed a lot, we, uh, we joked a lot, and, and we were serious a lot. You go, you listen, and you talk about it. It's a place that's warm and welcoming, and you could have your questions answered and not be afraid of the answer. They're, it's not threatening. Um, you could leave if you want, if you want to. But if you stay, you can learn so much. This was a place that I could, I could think. This is a place where I could discuss and have intellectual conversations. I didn't have to leave my brain at the door. Whether you're asking questions about life or about Christianity, or maybe just curious about what the Bible really says, why not invest 10 weeks in a course that's designed to probe those very issues?
Come check it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. But if your experience is like so many others, we believe you will enjoy it and you'll form friendships that will last a lifetime. It has totally changed my life. Uh, my relationship with my husband, my children, most of all the Lord. Um, I definitely think that no matter what the issue is, the Alpha Course has the answer too. I think you should come to Alpha because it'll change your life. It changed ours and we've invited some friends to come because we thought it might help them too. This was a true learning experience for me. I want to invite you to come and join us. Here you are, you've accepted some kind of an invitation and, and shown up. You know, the Alpha Course, interesting its origins, there was a fellow in London, England, who uh, really kind of invented the course, uh, this fellow named Nicky Gumbel. He's got an interesting background. He's Cambridge-educated lawyer who then went to Oxford and was educated in theology and became a pastor, and that's what he does now. He wrote a book called The Questions of Life, and I kind of like that title. Because if there's one thing that we take for granted is we just set off in life and start living life. And sometimes you just get caught up in that so quickly that you don't ask good questions about stuff that's really important. It's like, you know, why? Why am I living the way I'm living? Why am I making these choices? I came across this thought from an author named Oz Guinness. And Oz wrote a very interesting book, and he said this. He says, most of us feel immortal in our teens and 20s, then move through life so fast in our 30s and 40s that we lose sight of the journey and think only of our careers. Even in our 50s, we barely hear the roar of the rapids several bends downriver. Have you awakened to the journey of life? Or are you among those drifting down the years? Are you among those so caught up on the project of themselves that they choose not to hear the flow of time? Are you living an examined life? Or are you living in the hand-me-down ideas of others? Are you open to the full interrogation of life? Or are you closed to the search because you believe what you've always believed without question? Right? I mean, it's just we inherit a lot of stuff. Right? We just inherit a lot from those who have gone before us. But in matters of what do we base our life on and, and how do we provide answers when it feels like the wheels have come off and, and life doesn't feel like it's working at this point or things that used to be satisfying don't satisfy us anymore? Well, how do we ask questions then? And then where do we go to get the answers to those questions? And if we're brave enough, we're all admitting we're all asking questions. Right, we just maybe not putting them into words. Here's a couple of guys asking questions we might recognize. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, pretty famous actor and successful guy. He says, sometimes I feel I'm living a meaningless life. And I get frightened. I, I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It, it could go away. You never know. He says, 
I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. I was recognized Mr. Tom Brady, Pro Bowl quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback. He did an interview at 60 Minutes, which was interesting, after we won one of his Super Bowls. He says this, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey, man... This is what is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, this isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Steve Croft, the interviewer, followed up and asked him, well, what's the answer? And Brady's response was, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love deflating footballs. I'm sorry, he didn't say that. <laughs> he, he didn't say that. Uh, clarify. I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I I think there are a lot of other parts about me I'm trying to find. How about, some of us might recognize Ted Turner back when there was only antenna TVs. Ted gave us uh, cable TV, remember those days? Uh, During an interview with Barbara Walters, she once asked Ted Turner, what do you mean by success? What to you is successful? He replied, I think it's kind of an empty bag, to tell the truth. You have to get there to really know that. Money doesn't buy happiness, and neither does honors or positions and awards or trophies. And he had a few of those. Uh, Jim Carrey, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And then... Nobody's old enough to actually know who Ralph Barton was personally. He was a, probably the most world-famous cartoonist in the early 1900s. And he got quite a bit of attention for, you know, back in that day, if you published satirical content and you wrote clever cartoons, you got people's attention. Uh, but this is what was found on his suicide note. He says, I have had few difficulties Many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife and from house to house. Visited great countries of the world. But I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours a day. See, all of us are on a quest for life to answer some kind of questions that are inside of our soul. We, we want our experience in life to be meaningful and to be rich and to affirm something that makes sense in us. But it just seems like that's a hard thing to come across. You know, it's interesting, the caricature in this image uh, is one of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, and I just found it interesting that uh, a drawing was done by a world-famous cartoonist Ralph Barton of Ernest Hemingway and Ralph Barton would commit suicide. Here's Ernest Hemingway's background. Silver Medal of Military Valor in World War I, won the Perlitzer Prize in 1953, was Nobel Prize winner of literature in 1954. Two of his books would be named to the list of the 100 best English language novels of the 20th century. So Ernest Hemingway, in his field of endeavor, accomplished some things with his life. Uh, Ernest Hemingway committed suicide in 1961. So there's something about 
those questions on the inside of us. For some people, those questions drive them to desperation. For others, they're just sort of the background noise against a life that just doesn't seem to fully arrive. It doesn't seem to fully make sense. It it just seems to be an elusive chase for happiness that, that never seems to get there. And so we show up, we're a room full of folks tonight, and... We've got questions, right? Uh, what's the meaning of life? How do we deal with guilt? Right? Can you imagine? Which you know, this is not a this is not a group therapy session, so you're not going to be asked to deal with some of these issues at your table, even though you're going to get comfortable with your folks there. But let's face it this 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 room's got some guilt in it, right? I mean, if we're honest enough to look back over our lives, we've got things that we wish we hadn't done. We've got years that we feel like we're wasted. We've got people in our rearview mirror that we really did hurt them. And as much as we try to tell ourselves that, that, that we didn't or we weren't to blame, there's questions and they nag us. How do we make sense of human suffering? It's all around us in the news constantly. What's the cause of evil in the world today? How do I pray? All right, these are just questions that we have and we're trying to figure out how do we do this life? And what a great thing to be able to slow up just for a few Tuesday nights and, and ponder some of those questions and, and see if there's some answers that can make sense or can find its way into a little niche in our, in our lives. Um, as I mentioned, I, I'm, I'm a pastor here at, at, at Lakeview. I've been pastoring here for 25 years now and... Before that, I had a real job. I worked for six years down in the CBD in the business world. Uh, I'm a local guy here. I grew up uh, going to school locally. I went to LSU, went to University of New Orleans, graduated with an engineering background, so that's what my education is. I grew up in River Ridge. You guys from River Ridge? One, (laughs) two, three. All right. My homeboys from River Ridge. so I haven't gone too far. I've moved from River Ridge. I, moved, I live out in Destrehan now. Um, I'm uh, married and have seven children. Um, yes, yes, I was Catholic. Yes, we had a TV. Uh, yes, we know where they come from. Uh, those are usually the questions that come after you say you have seven children. Uh, you know, I can remember back in the day growing up, you know, my mom was, was an English woman, very proper. They would you know, try to make sure that you stayed in bounds when you're out in public. And, you know, she would say there was, there was three things you just didn't bring up in public conversation, right? So there was religion, politics, and sex. You just didn't bring those things up. My, you know, I think she'd roll over in her grave now. It's like you wouldn't have reality TV without some of those, right? I mean, this is what we watch all the time now. But one of the great things about the Alpha Course is you come in here on a Tuesday night and the topic of religion is not going to sneak up on you. Right? It's, it's why you're here. Now, some of you guys, a couple of y'all rolled your eyes when I said that. So you've had an encounter with someone where the topic of religion sneaks up on you, right? You're just, you're just kind of walking up to the water cooler at work, you know, taking a break from your desk, and you know, you just you made a comment about the air conditioner doesn't seem to be on. It's just, well, it just feels hot in here today. And somebody just whirls around out of nowhere. Hot. You want to talk hot, brother? Hell is hot. And you don't want to go there. It's like, whoa, how did we get on this subject? Uh, well, you know, when you walk in here on a Tuesday night, 
we're talking religion. Uh, we're talking about God. We're talking about faith. We're talking about belief in invisible things. And what's this God like? And, and what does that matter for your life? And what do you believe? Right? That's what's happening in an alpha setting. So you don't ever have to be surprised by that. And that's a little liberating to know that you're going to be sitting at a table knowing that's the discussion topics and knowing you have the freedom to say whatever you want to say. You're not obligated. This is a discussion format. So, you know, some things are going to get shared. I'll share some things tonight and every night. Uh, either myself, you'll meet Frank Loria next week. He'll share some things with you. And you'll have a basis to create a discussion. But what we really want you to do is just explore your thoughts in these categories. And so that's why there's a table. And that's why it features a table discussion for you to have the ability. It's like, you know, here's what I think about that. Or here's how I was raised. And this is what I believe. And so... It, it's really a fun format if you give it a chance. And, and so if you're just trying to figure out, do I really want to come? Hey, just come for the first few nights and then just decide, is this, is this really for me? Like I said, most of the folks that, that go through, they stick with it. We've, have, we've had courses that start with this number of people and end with just about exactly this number of people uh, that go through all 10 weeks. Uh, you're not going to be forced to speak. You know, you're, you know, I, I know a lot of public settings, people need to be armed. Your table leader is not armed. Uh, he will not point a gun at you and force you to answer any of the questions. If you're not comfortable in public settings talking about something, just, you know, just say, you know, I just want to hear what other people have to say. But I promise you this, if you'll engage and you'll explore and you'll share whatever you're comfortable sharing. You'll get a whole lot out of the time. But again, we, we, just, we want you to be comfortable uh, and we want this to be meaningful for you and we trust that it will. A lot of folks have been through it and have experienced that. All right, let me give you a little bit of a taste of uh, what do we do on a typical alpha evening with a topic. Well, next week, if you have the courage to come back, you get this really cool red book that everybody is going to be dying to have after I talk about it tonight. Um, all right, so week one, do you guys have any kind of outlines tonight? Don't you normally have a little bit of a... All right, you've got like the cheap, I'm not sure you're committed version at your table. But if you sign up tonight, you get one of these free of charge. Uh, all right, so session one is titled, Is There More to Life? Than this, right? So it's on page uh, page seven, I think. It's I man didn't say that. Is there more to life than this? Um, you know, that's that's not a that's not a foreign question for me because I can specifically remember being a teenager and laying in my bed one night and asking that very question. And I hadn't traveled too far down the road of life, right, as a teenager. But somewhere, even in that short, brief life existence, I was beginning to experience the routine, the rote, the repetitiveness, the familiarity of life that was making me say, this doesn't feel really, really, really rewarding. Is there, is there something more to life than this? Well, you know, religion jumps into that category and seeks to provide answers, right? Well, on your next page there, page 8, says, well, what if, if any, has been your experience of Christianity, right? So Christianity sits amongst the religious landscape and, and it teaches some things and it believes some things. And that's what the Alpha Course explores. But, you know, for some people, the second you throw religion out there, you throw Christianity out there, uh, you know, Nicky Gumbel says, okay, is that stuff boring? Is it untrue? 
Uh, is it irrelevant? That's how some people feel uh, about the topic of religion, the topic of Christianity. And I, and I can relate to that to some level. Because I definitely would have thought, uh, if Christianity is anything, it's, it's boring. It's boring. I mean, the, the people that I could see that were in the system of religion that was Christian, uh, they weren't very excited folks. They, they looked... They just look boring. And, you know, and I, I wasn't itching, you know, please, mom and dad, please take me to church, please. Uh, I just, you know, I didn't grow up that way. Uh, you know, any opportunity to avoid things, miss things. And, you know, you pull up in the church parking lot, right, and you don't see this guy, right? You know, where is this guy in the church parking lot? You know, big G for God. He's there early. He's got brats going on the grill. And people are coming in for the church service. And he's like, whoo! today baby yeah high-fiving God man yes and they're just excited about God this is not the way people looked in the church parking lot when I pulled up and so my impression of Christianity was man is there is there that doesn't look like there's much here but you know then I got a hold of a bible and I started reading this Bible. Well, first, I got around the guy you're going to hear from next week. Uh, and I'm just a teenager at this point. And, and he's talking about God like there's this, like, like there's this real thing going on. Like, that, like it's exciting and, and like it really meant something. So that was weird for me. And then he's talking about the Bible in a way that I'm like, I'm, I'm not familiar with a lot of what you're saying. So I go pick a Bible up and start reading a Bible for the first time in my life. And I, I'm reading through and I'm watching... People live a life and get around Jesus Christ, this, this historic figure, and, and they are so affected by him. And they begin to live lives that are just upside down and radical and risky, anything but boring. These, this was an exciting adventure that these guys were on. And, and then I had my own encounter with Christ uh, and, and got around other people who were experiencing life. And there was joy in them. And there was this sense of purpose and well-being and direction. Anything but boring. So I, at one point I would have thought, yeah, you know, I'm with you. Christianity is boring. But on further review, it, it's not. It's anything but boring. How about untrue? Is Christianity untrue? I mean, is it right up there with Greek mythology and, and folklore and just made up weird stuff? Um, no, and if you'll do a little bit of homework into the origins, the writings, and, and how we even get what, what we call the, the Christian belief system, um, and, and some of the course will talk through some of those things, and where, where does the Bible come from, and how do we even get it? How do we know if we can trust it or not? So questions get asked in that category. But I will say this. I think for most of us, untrue right, is not the, the real question word. But I would say this, I think Christianity can be hard to believe. Not because it's untrue, but for one thing, to believe it involves faith. It, it involves putting your belief into something that you don't have 100% of every possible piece of information about. But how many of you know that you live that way on a daily basis already? There are lots of things you do in your life that you don't know 100% for sure whether the brakes are going to stop your car when you're coming into that intersection. I mean, really, I'm a mechanical engineer by degree. Are you completely sure that your brakes are actually going to stop your car? You do press them by faith, don't you? 
Ever heard of brake failure? I just traded a car in that had brake failure and drove it all the way to Homa thinking, I can't stop this car. I really can't stop this car. So it, it was an interesting experiment. I figured there wouldn't be much traffic and I'd be safe. Um, You're going to be involved in believing something that takes faith to believe. That, well, that can, be, that can feel different uh, to us. And so in some way, that can be hard. But let me just tell you, through the years of having just been around a lot of folks through years of, of being a pastor now, um, I think one of the hardest things about believing the Christian message is that it actually costs you something to believe it. Because if I believe the idea that there is a personal God... Not some just higher force power, but there's a personal God out there and he actually created every one of us. And he had a purpose for my life. Well, what if his purpose is different than mine? What if he wants things for my life that are different than what I want for my life? I don't know if I want to get too close to this God because I might have to adjust something about my life. Quite honestly, that's the difficulty for the average person. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I want anybody else steering this thing but me. And if there really is a God who really did make everything like the Bible and Christianity teaches, well, then I might have to adjust some of that. And I don't know if I want to. All right, I'm with you. But that doesn't make Christianity untrue. It just makes it maybe hard to believe. How about irrelevant? Is Christianity irrelevant? I mean, what, what does some ancient story have to do with modern lives that we're living? You know, they didn't even have iPhones back then. They didn't drive cars. What could they possibly know that's relevant for you and me today? Well, you know, there, there are issues in life that your, your cell phone doesn't fix, right? That your car doesn't answer, doesn't provide certain meaningful dimensions into our hearts. And when you get in touch with that moment, right? Because, you know, at different ages, for me, it was, I was a teenager and, and life felt void, but I've seen some people, they get to be 30, 50, 70 years old before life feels hauntingly empty. And in those moments, something feels like it's missing. And suddenly, this becomes relevant to your life. Something beyond what I can purchase or get with for my hard work and my job and my money. It becomes very relevant to life. And... You know, maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe that's not where you are right now. But it's a great thing to explore. But, but what the Alpha Course does is it examines, and we're going to examine one statement from Jesus tonight. It examines the claim that Jesus Christ makes claims that he's the most relevant person to your life. That there's nobody who ever existed, not your wife, not your children, not your parents, who, are, who is more important to you personally than whoever Jesus Christ is. And that's what we'll explore. Who, well, who is he? And what makes him so special and unique that I should pay attention to the things that he says? Well, that's what the course is going to explore. We're going to just explore one thing tonight. We're going to explore a statement, a really short statement that Jesus makes. Um, he says this about himself in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. So let's just explore those three things tonight. And this is kind of typically what we do in an evening. We just examine some things that Christianity makes a claim about. Uh, and then from that we'll get some, some questions going and at the table we'll have some lively discussion about what it is that we believe about these things. So Jesus makes a claim here, right? In your, in your nifty outline there, point number one, it says he claims to provide this direction for a lost world. Right? Jesus is going to make the claim that I am the way. Well, of course, he's, he's assuming something by saying, I am the way. He's, he's assuming that all of us are looking for direction. We're, we're looking to find our way through life. But Jesus knows that there's something going on on the inside of every one of us. And he highlights it. He says some things that, that sort of capture our attention on what's happening inside of us. Here's the inner condition for humanity. I'm on my buttons here. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, now Jesus is obviously speaking using some kind of a a parable to, to tap into something, but he taps into hunger and thirst. He taps into this reality that you and I know something about. Matter of fact, maybe you came here tonight and you were glad that there was food because you hadn't had anything since breakfast today and you got here and without any assistance, there was something on the inside of you going off saying, you're hungry. You, you are hungry. You need something out there to get that inside of here. Right? Well, that's what hunger and thirst is. Jesus said, you know, life feels that way. Your life hungers and thirsts for something. And it's not a po' boy. It's something else. And he, and he said, I'm, I'm like the bread of life. He makes a big claim here. He makes a claim that he can satisfy the inner hunger of humanity. That's a big claim. Right? And if he is who he says he is, then, then he's got some qualifications to back that up. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Right? Giant inference here in this statement. If he shows up with the news that he can give life, the implication is whatever you've got right now, it doesn't have this. You're alive, but there's an aspect of life that's missing in you. And, and Jesus gets that, right? So the question for us is, you know, when, are, are you in touch with an inner hunger? Are you in touch with sometimes life itself feels like I I, I need to get something else from out there in here. It just feels like something is missing. I came across a program a number of years ago by a guy named uh, John Stossel. And he just had an interesting uh, angle on this. It was was a a program he called The Pursuit of Happiness. It was just a one-hour program. But it really was about this. It was about man trying to fix his inner hunger. Have a look at this video real quick. It's a little dated, but it's very helpful. Everyone wants to feel good. And while many of these things do make people feel good, if not great, they don't last, say the researchers. Disappointment awaits those of us who pursue happiness through hedonism. Drugs, sex, shopping, food even. They don't provide lasting happiness. Fame doesn't work either. I grew up convinced that true happiness was being a sports hero, 
What could be better than the joy of success? And the applause. At the Super Bowl winning quarterback asks, is that all there is? Probably the biggest myth is that money's the answer. 25 years ago, when college students were asked, what's important? Most said family, or developing a meaningful life philosophy. But today, most students say, being very well off financially. You've just won $10 million. Well, if that's true, then people who win a lot of money should be happy. But are they? Meet some lottery winners. Teresa Brunning of Colorado won a million dollars. Janetta Williams won five million in the Arizona lottery. Curtis Sharp collected five million in New York. For a time, I seemed like I was in a dream world, you know? Did you come down to Earth? Oh, yes, I came down, you know? I came down to Earth. I, I got divorced from my first wife and married my second wife, and I spent a lot of money on the wedding, you know? It's, $100,000 on a yes, grand wedding. That didn't last five years, you know what I'm saying? Maybe he didn't win enough. Sherry Gagliardi and her husband won $26 million. I was numb for three years. <laughs> <laughs> but you must have been happy. Um, yes and no. I, uh, I got a divorce in, uh, two years after we had won. Studies of lottery winners have found that within a year, most say they are no happier than they were before they won. Money didn't buy you happiness? No, of course not. You buy a therapist, you know, marriage counselor. <laughs> People have a misconception about having money. You go out and you go, oh, that's what I want, I'll buy it. Well, a couple of weeks later, it's like, you know, that emptiness comes back. Then what? I mean, how many suits can I wear? How many hats can I wear? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, come on. I noticed that none of these winners is offering to give the money back. It's nice to be able to buy things. Good afternoon. Would you like to try attorney for ladies? Life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness has become the new American dream. Psychologist David Myers, who spent six years examining hundreds of studies on happiness for this book, says once you get past poverty, money doesn't help, no matter how much stuff you buy. The stockpiles of CDs, the closets full of clothes, the uh, big screen stereo TV systems, doesn't do it. Clearly it doesn't do it. Uh, people having achieved that level of wealth have now adapted to it and it takes new increments, a faster computer, a bigger TV screen or whatever, to reduce the joy that the initial purchase gained for them. To reduce the joy. You see it in babies. Give a three-month-old a mobile with two objects and most like it. But researcher Jeffrey Fagan of St. John's University says if kids are given a ten-object mobile and then you try to get them to go back to the two-object one, they lose interest or cry. We get used to having more and it doesn't work anymore. That's right. And that's why today with double the incomes and double what money buys for us, we're no happier than we were 40 years ago. Yeah, I think at some level, even though most of us aren't $26 million lottery winners, we kind of we get that, right? You know, that probably none of us are in here who have ever bought our last anything. This is the last car. I'm totally happy with this one forever. Uh, there's just something in us that wants more. Like there's something else out there that once it gets inside of us, we'll finally find a place of peace and settlement and it's elusive, right? That emptiness keeps coming. There's a fellow who had written a book. Ray Pritchard wrote The Anchor for the Soul. He said, we were made to know God. 
We are incurably religious by nature. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, has some concept of a higher power, some vision of reality that goes beyond the natural. Right? There's something in us reaching for something out there. Augustine's famous prayer, he says, You made us for yourselves, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Well, we're trying to navigate our way through life to satisfy this inner hunger. Jesus stands and says, I am the way. Right? Giant claim made by this person who says he was the son of God. But he says something else right in this one line. He says, I am the way and I am the truth. I'm the truth. Well, is there, is there such a thing as truth? What, what do we believe the truth is? And, and can you really know what the truth is? The Bible treats that topic like it can be known. But let's, let's ask this question tonight. Does it matter what we believe? Right? Our, our time frame doesn't seem to be real concerned that anybody believe one thing in particular as much as every individual is given the right to sincerely believe whatever it is that they believe. And so sincerity of personal belief is held today at a much higher value than whether or not something is actually true or not. But, you know, that doesn't work all over the place, right? Um, It's not just enough that that people would have a sincere belief in something because they could be believing in something sincerely that isn't going to take them anywhere. That's not even true and not even going to be a reality for them. There was a number of years ago, there was a, a small group of cult believers uh, that were following a man named Marshall Applegate and somehow they had become convinced and he had convinced them that when the Hale-Bopp comet traveled through our portion of the, the galaxy, uh, behind it, trailing behind it, was an alien spacecraft that if they were to commit suicide together, they would be whisked away from all the pains of Earth and taken aboard this spaceship and, and taken away from here into a greater place. And a number of them committed suicide believing that. All right, now let's think objectively for a second. They were extremely sincere, sincere enough to end their lives for what they believed. How many of you really believe there was a spaceship trailing the Hale-Bopp comet when it passed through? Their sincerity didn't create a spacecraft behind that. A number of years ago when the uh, individuals flew airplanes into the World Trade Center and the massive destruction of 9-11 took place, um, it sounds like the people involved in flying those planes were sincere in what they believe. This is actually from Muhammad Atta, was one of the men on board the plane, He wrote a note that said, you should pray. This was found uh, afterwards. You should pray. You should fast. You should ask God for guidance. You should ask God for help. Continue to pray throughout the night. Continue to recite the Quran. You will be entering paradise. You will be entering the happiest life, everlasting life. Not a question of sincerity, but did they believe the right thing? Right? Sincerity doesn't create truth. 
And, and even though we, we feel better as a society when we empower every individual to have their own belief system and for them to be okay with it, at some point, one person's version competes with another person's version, right? So raise the question. Some things can't all be true at the same time, right? One of the chief questions that religion is trying to answer is, what happens after you die? So you've got available to you a few options. Uh, You cease to exist. You go into some kind of a sleep state where you have no consciousness of anything. It's just blank and it's over. Uh, Or... You are reincarnated. You come back in some kind of other life form here upon the earth and you just live in this cycle over and over and over again. Uh, Or you uh, end existence here upon earth and you exist then forever in either a place called heaven or a place called hell. now, Now just regardless of what you think about any one of those individual options for the afterlife, they can't all be true. At some point, you and I have to make a decision that it's unreasonable to make things coexist that contradict each other that way. One of those things can be true, but they can't all be true. And when you look out in the, in the landscape of religion, I know it can feel like just a bunch of confusing sort of smoke and mirrors and all these religions. You know, does it really matter what everybody believes? You know, in the end, it's just, you know, just as long as you're sincere... But think for a moment. Religions teach a variety of things, right? Islam. Islam teaches that they are unbelievers who say that God is the Messiah, Mary's son. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger, right? So Islam picks up the person of Jesus Christ and says, you know, regardless of what the Bible and Christianity say, he's not who they say he is. He's, he was only a messenger. He's not God come in the flesh. Right? They say elsewhere in the Quran, Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah. Say not, Trinity, desist. It will be better for you. For Allah is one God, glory to him, far exalted is he above having a son. So Christianity comes along and and makes its claim that God has uniquely taken on the form of a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And and, and there's a purpose why he did that, then we'll explore that. 600 years later, another man named Muhammad writes down that that's not true. So Islam turns to Christianity and says, that ain't true. So Islam's going to make a claim for truth. But it's not going to be the same claim that Christianity is going to make. Uh, Mormonism teaches something different than Islam does. In the beginning, Mormonism teaches the head of the gods, plural, called a council of the gods. And they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people. So Mormonism says Islam is not true. Islam says that there is one God, Allah, and there is no other form, nothing else but Allah as we understand him to be. Mormons say, no, there's a whole council of gods that exist. So again, one's just going to agree with the other. Mormonism goes on elsewhere and teaches, remember that God, our Heavenly Father, was perhaps once a child. 
and mortal like we ourselves and rose step by step in the scale of progress in the school of advancement and has moved forward and overcome until he has arrived at the point where he now is. So, so Mormonism teaches the concept that Mortal human beings like any one of us begin this process to move through life and at some point can sort of get a severe upgrade and can one day achieve a status of being God as well. Well, that would be very different than what Christianity teaches, who teaches that God existed as God, but he chose to take on the form of a human being. Right? So that's, that's upside down. And, and then if you just explore religion a little bit further, you'll come into Eastern religions where, you know, Buddhism, that is not going to teach any form of a personal deity, but rather a, a transcendent frame of mind, a way of thinking that can alter your reality. And there are ways that you walk through that and train yourself to ascend and, and find a greater place and a greater means of living. But, but there's no personal God to encounter. You know, Buddha, Buddha was a teacher. He's, he's not trying to teach you to get in touch with a personal God. Right? So there's, there's a variety here that as you and I explore religion, if, if we let reasonable categories exist, it's very hard to conclude, well, all of those are probably just right in their own way. That's not how we think our way through life on an everyday basis. When things contradict themselves, it forces us into a choice of, well, which one of these is right? Because they both can't be right. One of them could be right, but they all can't be right. And Jesus makes this big statement. He says, I am the way, and I am the truth. And then he makes one last statement that we'll explore. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And he says, I am the life. And, you know, that's an interesting statement that he said. You know, a little bit earlier we were looking at the passage in John where he talked about being the bread of life. And he made claims that I came so that they might have life and have it abundantly. So it's an interesting thing that the Bible is teaching here. Jesus claims to be the one who can lead us into a life that we don't have. That's an interesting message. Right? Everybody do this with me? Do you have, do you have life? That's a strange thing for Jesus to walk into. I mean, if you preach that message in a cemetery, that makes sense. I came, hey guys, I came that you might have life. And it comes coming up out of the grave. This is to a live audience. That he's saying, I came that you might have life. Well, what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about that inner dimension of life. That inside life of every human being. That these other, Augustine and others referred to as something that was missing. This internal whole. This piece of us that feels like it's, it's not there. Well, you know, here's the storyline of the Bible that brings us to present day. Is that there's a personal God who out of his love and his desire to share his love and who he was, he created man. And he enters a relationship with man. And in that relationship, he puts up a boundary. And he says, basically, trust me for everything in your life. In the garden that I've given you, there's a gazillion trees, there's much to enjoy, there's everything you need. There's this one tree in the garden that I'm telling you not to eat from that tree. Because the day that you choose to eat from that tree, you 
will surely die. So that's the source of death. That disobedient act and the eating of that tree brings something called death. But what's interesting, if you've ever read the Bible story about Adam and Eve, it's not like they went over and plucked an apple off and said, cheers, honey, took a bite, and then both of them just keeled over flat dead on the ground. That's not the story, is it? They did eat of the fruit of that tree, and they did die. But they kept on breathing. They still had a heartbeat. Their brain waves still had activity. They could still have conversation. They could still do life. But they were fully dead in some way. On the inside, what became every man's experience from Adam and Eve on is to be alive on the outside and dead on the inside. And Jesus makes this enormous claim that he could fix that. That he could come and he could bring life on the inside uh, where it's missing. Right, this is why you have statements that feel this way, even from, you know, Shia LaBeouf's not trying to be a, a, a Bible theologian when he says this. But it just seems like there's a God-sized hole inside of me. And if I knew how to fill it, I would. Well, Jesus claims to know how to fill that hole in the human soul, right? And so here's what we want to do in the, in the Alpha Course, is we want to explore this person named Jesus Christ, what he claimed, what he taught, what the Bible says, what it says about life. Is he qualified to make the kind of statements that he made? Is there something special about him that maybe we should listen to him uniquely because of something special? Or is he, is he just the, the, the latest religious fad, kind of kooky idea person that a bunch of folks have, for some strange reason, following this guy? All right, well, over the next, over the next nine weeks, you've already made it through the first week, so it's just nine weeks now already. Um, that's going to get explored. And, and here, here's how you can do that. Um, if you, if you want to come and participate, I think there's going to be a sign-up list at each table just so we have an idea of how many folks to expect next week. And, and typically what many folks will do sometimes is, is they might realize after listening through this and figuring out what it's about, maybe they've got a, a friend, cousin, relative, somebody we work with who is into this kind of stuff or might be interested in something like this and, and they want to bring them back next week. All right, well, if you know for sure they're coming, let us know. If you don't know for sure, just show up with them. We'll figure out where to put them. Um, that's not my problem or Frank's problem. That's the guy who feeds you's problem and uh, he'll figure that out. But, all right, so honestly, if, if I'm... If I'm in this room tonight and I'm, I'm here for however I got invited to this thing, um, I, I'm, I might be suspicious. You know, is there, there's some kind of hook in this, right? Why, why do people really do this? You're going you're gonna to ask us to join something? Is there something you're going to sell us along the way? Um, I think I still have this image. Is this up here? Uh, no. All right. Well, you remember my friend who had the big G in the parking lot? Uh, I, I would be one of those guys who went from experiencing enough life to know, you know, this can feel awfully empty and just broken to experiencing God in a way that, that suddenly life felt different and life made sense and there was a sense of direction and there was, a, there was an answer to that purpose question and finding meaning wasn't so elusive 
it finally had a target and a purpose for life. And, and, and many of the folks in this room have experienced something like that that has caused people to say, hey, uh, if I can share anything like that with another human being, I would. And so maybe the person who invited you that's why they invited you. Because something went off in their soul five years ago, 20 years ago, that Jesus made these big claims. And there's some people, and I did this as a teenager. I, I took him up on those claims. And I said, I, I believe you are who you say you are. And I don't know all that that means. And I don't know exactly what that's going to do to my life. But I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. And some, I don't even know how many years later now. I'm 54, so do the math. Uh, some many years later, uh, you know, I am, I am so grateful for the encounter that I had with the God who I believe made all of us. And so gladly will we give an opportunity for folks to explore this topic, to ask questions, to interact, to share your own story with one another, uh, to see why it is that you believe what you believe. And maybe after 10 weeks, you walk away more convinced of where you're at right now than you ever have been. Okay, that's great. Uh, Or maybe you have some fresh thoughts to consider and you've managed to take a Tuesday night, press the pause button on this overscheduled life of ours and ask some really good, meaningful questions that are going to serve you for the rest of your life as you move forward. So you are all invited back for next week. We hope you'll take us up on that invitation. Uh, If you are coming, just let your table host know I'll be back next week. And you know, if, if part of the week, you, you look at your schedule, you know you can't make it. That's okay. Um, just try and do the best you can with your schedule to be here. Uh, and if you want to invite somebody back, we have a kids program going on right now. So if you have kids up to the age 11, uh, you're welcome to, to have them come back with you or you're welcome to have uh, friends who may have kids that age come back. I guarantee if you bring your kids back, they'll drag you back the next week after that. They have a great time downstairs, a spacewalk. There's all kinds of fun stuff that they're doing. Anyway, all right, we're done for the night. If you're coming back, sign up and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week.